This episode of the Hell Yes Life podcast is sponsored by Hell Yes Life Adventures. Hell Yes Lifers, I wanted to let you know about one of my biggest Hell Yeses of the year. This October, in collaboration with Chase Beringer of the Bucket List Lifestyle, I am hosting a six-night, seven-day Hell Yes Life adventure retreat for entrepreneurs in Tulum, Mexico. The trip will include visits to Mayan temples, snorkeling with sea turtles, yoga and meditation, transformative personal and professional development work, and the opportunity to connect with other amazing, world-changing, hell yes entrepreneurs while staying in a luxurious beachside villa. There are a limited number of slots available and it's being offered at an incredibly reasonable price. So if you're interested in learning more, please visit hellyeslife.com forward slash retreat. That's hellyeslife.com forward slash retreat. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Hell Yes Life podcast, where you'll hear inspiring stories and life lessons from amazing Hell Yes entrepreneurs who are running their for-purpose businesses and living their Hell Yes lives. I'm your host, Norman Bell. Hey there, Hell Yes Lifers. It's Norman Bell, host of the Hell Yes Life podcast. Welcome to the show. Uh, This is the uh, second global pandemic edition of the uh, (laughs) podcast. And today I am excited to have as my guest, Dr. Taryn Marie Stayskull. Taryn is the author of Flourish or Fold, the Five Practices of Particularly Resilient People, which is expected to release as a book in 2020. She is the former head of executive leadership development at Nike, global leadership development at Cigna, and founded her own company, Resilience Leadership, which she serves as chief resilience officer. Her research and thought leadership has been showcased in publications such as Thrive Global and Women's Daily Magazine and Medium on television broadcasts such as NBC and for apps such as Happify and eMindful. Taryn, welcome to the Hell Yes Life podcast. Thank you. It's great. It's great to be here. Well, great. Thanks Thanks so much for joining us in this special time that we're all going through. Uh, unique time. And, um, you know, we're going to get around. I really was excited to have um, you on since resilience is a great topic to be uh, discussing right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm going to open it up as I usually do by asking you, as I do with all my guests, what is your hell yes? What is that thing that really lights you up and makes you come alive? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question, of course, um, which is why you have a whole podcast around it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, I think my hell yes has always been helping people in in some form or fashion. And, you know, for me, there wasn't, there wasn't this one crystallizing moment where I was like, hell yes, this is it. And, and I think that actually resonates with a lot of people because while it's wonderful to have this, you know, one organizing moment where it all kind of comes together, my sense is that happens 
more rarely and and that for the vast majority of us it's more of an iterative kind of learning and growing and peeling back the layers and and sort of picking you know one thing up as we we go along and and getting to that place of of life purpose and knowing you know what we're really made for and meant for you know as mm -hmm. as mark twain said uh you know there's there's two important days in your life right the the day that you're born and and the day that you figure out or you learn you learn why, why? <laughs> and i think for a lot of us that day is is metaphorical in the sense that it's like many days right yeah. um but what started out for me is um in middle school my parents got me my own phone line right so this this was the day before this was the time before cell phones and call waiting had just been invented and I still wasn't answering their call waiting when I was on the line with my friends. And so they got me my own phone line, I think really as a survival mechanism because no one could make a call out or in to the house otherwise. Uh, and, I remember and, those days, yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And so what, so what was happening was my friends were calling me because they wanted advice or they wanted someone to talk to. And I really liked to listen to people and, and, and I was good at it. And uh, then a little, a little while, while later, a close friend of mine who was also a competitive swimmer in high school had a spinal cord injury, had a neurological injury and became paraplegic. And rather than going to you know, start his freshman year on a swim scholarship for the, for the, male, for the men's swim team, you know, his family was widening the doorways in their home and, and trying to figure out like what his physical rehabilitation schedule was going to be now that he was paraplegic. And so that was like the next like little organizing moment where I said, okay, not only do I want to do psychology, not only do I want to help people, but I really want to kind of go into this area of neuropsychology and think about how when people have a physical injury, how that impacts their, their mind, their thinking, their emotionality, their, their spirit, their identity, their relationships. Mm -hmm. so that was another moment. And then when I was doing my pre and postdoc um, in neuropsychology in the Department of Rehabilitation at Virginia Commonwealth University, it was my patients who really started to teach me about resilience. And so what was happening is we'd have people come into the ICU or the ER um, and we'd give them a, a prognosis on what we thought their rehabilitation trajectory was going to look like. And what's really interesting is when people are in the ER, well, it's not interesting, it's, it's really fascinating and it's really human actually. When people are in the ER, when they're in the ICU, um, it's, it's, it's a really like leveling moment for us as humans mm. because we all, have, we all have the same two questions on our minds. Like any person in an ER or an ICU is wondering one, you know, what's going to happen to their loved one, or if they're the patient, what's going to happen to them? And then they want to know what this means for their life, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's this, it's this moment, like as humanity, we're all knit together and, and at, at once connected in the same, um, which is very much akin, I think, to what's happening with the coronavirus right now. And we'll talk more about that. And so my patients really taught me that when we were looking at, you know, this particular, um, you know, these kind of three data points, right? Their age, how severe we thought the injury was based on a standardized scale and where the, the neurological injury had occurred in their body. Um, what that, we were making a prognosis about how we thought they, 
they were going to do, like what their rehabilitation trajectory was going to look like. And then because neurological injury is a really long-term rehabilitation that takes place over months and years, we would see people in our outpatient clinic and realize that oftentimes our prognosis was quite wrong, Um, that people were doing better than we thought or people were doing worse than we thought, like rarely were we hitting that target. And so what that really encouraged us to do was to start to think about what are the other pieces of information or what are the other points of data, if you will, that we could draw on to better understand people's prognosis in a, in a more nuanced and holistic way. And so we started to mine, mine the data, you know, at this academic teaching hospital and look statistically at how things fit together for people's rehabilitation. And we didn't initially call it a resilient study, but this was the moment, right, where resilience then became incredibly important to me. Because what we started to understand was that there were other factors that we weren't considering, like reliable access to transportation, that when we put that into a statistical model, statistically speaking, that was the difference between someone living independently or living in an assisted care facility, to put it simply, right? Just having access, reliable access to transportation after an injury. And so when I finished up my fellowship, I started to think, okay, well, not all of us are going to have neurological injuries, and and thank goodness for that. Uh, But what if for the rest of us, we knew that there was a constellation of behaviors or resources that we could draw on when we face challenge? Because we all inevitably face challenge. It's when, not if. What if there was a constellation of things that we could draw on, or we knew that when challenge shows up in our life, you know, and we turn right metaphorically, but not left, or we choose door A, but not door B, and you know, that we would be making a choice that's more resilient, just as having reliable access to transportation for Mm -hmm. someone who's had a neurological injury is something that bolsters or fosters, you know, resilience in their rehabilitation. So that was really the moment, you know, my patients, you know, and their families were the ones that taught me, hey, there's other factors here at play, And then I started to think about that more holistically in terms of uh, what does resilience mean for the rest of us, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for sharing that and uh, uh, kind of your journey to to where you are today. And I I really want to dig into this, um, you know, the, of course, when your book comes out, people can uh, access the full, the full meal deal and get your book. But if we can touch on the five practices of particularly resilient people today, that would be great. I would like to just maybe um, jump to what we were talking about before we started recording here and just, um, just check in, like, how are you doing? I think we were kind of talking about that a little bit and I'm sure everybody out there, and this is also a, a question for all of you, Helia Slifers, how are you doing today? Um, I, I hope that you're, you're doing okay. And, um, and Taryn and I were discussing, it's sort of a, um, a minute by minute, hour by hour sort of a thing, uh, but go ahead. How, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we started, we started to say, Norman, that, um, at, at this moment, for me, there, and I think for a lot of people, there aren't really bad days or good days. You know, there's, there's moments that are great, and there's moments that are terrifying. And, and I, th- I think the pendulum is, is swinging in a really broad stroke right now. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's important, that's been important for me to remember, and is important for all of us to remember, is 
it's really just our, our human construction that says this is bad and this is good. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think we're starting to see our, our, our lens, our frame of the world be uh, challenged in some ways. Right. So on the one hand we say, okay, we're, we're all staying home and you know, maybe that's bad because we've lost our freedom to some extent and we can't go to work and we have concerns about what that means financially or we have concerns about you know, being able to access care or, or mental health or, or have the resources that we need um, or what it means to be shut in all day with, with young children. Right? Yeah. And you know, on the other hand, we're seeing Mother Earth take a big inhale, yep. you know, and in the Wuhan province, you know, there's reports of clear blue skies and hearing birds chirping, which hasn't happened in years. And in Venice, you know, where people have been, yeah, the canals, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, swans and, and they're clear and you can, and you can see fish. And so I think I would, I would, what I would say is, there's moments that are really trying and there's moments that are really beautiful. And I would challenge us all to, I would invite us all to, to feel those feelings and to recognize that none of this is necessarily objectively good or bad. It is. Yeah. And what our job right can be right now is, is to feel all of those feelings. And I'll just say one more thing about that, which is, um, you know, I have a, a, a new friend that I was talking with over the weekend and he was talking about, you know, being a tech company founder and someone who worked very hard. And, you know, I think for those of us that have been really successful in our lives and worked really hard, there's an element sometimes where we go into like robot mode and we stop feeling things and we don't have time to feel things. And it's about meetings and it's about driving and it's about emails. And we, we lose that connection to our feelings and when we lose that connection to our feelings we also lose that connection to to our hell yes mm-hmm. right we lose that connection to is this something that's for me um and and maybe we start saying yes to things that are a maybe you know we start saying even yes to things that are a no right there's a saying you know i'm sure that's come up on this podcast that that goes if it's not a hell yes it's a no. It might be a no. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we start to lose that that connection to our own feelings. And so I think this is an opportunity to rekindle that connection to our feelings as exciting or uncomfortable as that process might be. And the metaphor that I like to use is, you know, when you think about that children's story, Hansel and Gretel, you know, Hansel and Gretel, when they finally you know, got to a place where they were trying to get home, right? And and home is now going to be metaphorical in this story that I'm telling you because home is about returning to ourselves. Home mm-hmm. is about our ability to find our way back to our truest truth, to the core of who we are. And the way that they found their way home, you know, was to leave pebbles, you know, on a path for themselves and they could follow those pebbles in the moonlight. And I think each of those pebbles are a feeling or a constellation of feelings. And so if we can pick up each of those pebbles along the way, feel that feeling, examine it, be present, and then keep walking and pick up the next pebble and be, and be present for that. I think that's what we're being called to do right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, will, it will 
ultimately take us home. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing, and and it's not to to minimize the um, the 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 enormity of the situation or the um, the the tragic elements of it either, but just to talk about it's such an interesting thing that what we're being you know like it could have it could have manifested so many different ways, but what we seem to be being called to do is to go within, you know, like literally go within your house and, and slow down. And I hear a lot of, you know, people like, wow, I'm starting to kind of look at my life a little differently. Um, and then also, oh, I was, I was listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast yesterday and he had Jack Cornfield, the, the um, meditation teacher. I love Jack Cornfield. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And he was telling the story cause he, he did a virtual when this started in, in uh, the Wuhan province in China he was doing a virtual uh, meditation class there, uh, you know, uh, and I don't know if it was over Zoom or whatever, but like, and he was, he was um, saying to the people there, like, you know, I have people that come to Spirit Rock Meditation um, and they, they essentially will, will go within, they'll, uh, you know, stay in their r- rooms for the most part and they pay hundreds of dollars to do this. So, you know, you might want to reframe this and look at this as, um, you know, something, something positive. I mean, it was a little bit of a joke, again, not to, to minimize or romanticize this, but, uh, but kind of what you're saying, sort of reframing this. And the other thing I wanted to mention is I'm seeing interesting things like my, my wife is a, a real extrovert. And, uh, and so people are finding ways to, to connect. And I would almost argue that she's has more social events on the calendar than usual. Like she has mm-hmm. like a virtual dance party <laughs> on the, on the calendar for tomorrow, tomorrow night. Um, she did a, you know, kind of a virtual potluck uh, the other day, et cetera. So it's just interesting just to kind of have a curiosity about what's happening. This is such a in, kind of could be very interesting as well as a very challenging time. Yeah, I, I love that word that you said, Norman, curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to the extent that we can get curious about what's happening for ourselves, what's happening in the world. Um, you know, we, we have all been quite physically connected for some time. Um, many of us, you know, travel all around the world. You know, oftentimes we're on sort of like a breakneck kind of travel schedule where we barely have a chance to catch our breath and one geographic place before we're getting back on a plane or we're, you know, on the streets and passing so many people. <clears throat> we've, we've been very physically connected with each other. And I think we've been very psychologically disconnected mm-hmm. from each other. And I think what's um, fascinating and ironic about what can happen here is that in our physical disconnection, we can get psychologically and spiritually more connected to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so let's go, let's, let's, let's imagine a listener out there that's, you know, I mean, hey, sh- just devil's advocate. Hey, all well and good. Taryn and Norman are talking about, hey, let's be curious about this. But maybe they're, they're more in a state of, of panic or worry about um, what the future and they're reading the new. I know for me, like I've, I'm noticing, I'm trying to notice about myself that mm-hmm. when I look at the news 20 minutes later, I'm feeling a lot worse than I did when I wasn't. But, you know, just trying to notice these things. But, but let's say somebody out there is feeling uh, really not very good right now. Um, and to apply some of the, the like the five practices of, of resilient people, um, why don't we just start talking about that? What are some, what are the five practices? Absolutely. And and you know, I'd I'd say maybe 26 minutes ago, I wasn't I wasn't feeling so good either. And you know, mm-hmm. probably 37 minutes from now, I won't be feeling. You know, it 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 vacillates and it oscillates. And yeah, 
So for those of you that are listening in right now and, and maybe in a moment of panic or a, a state of worry, right? Recognize, first of all, that this is all impermanent. Yeah. And, and it, this too shall pass and be different. Um, we never knew what the future was going to hold. Um, we still don't. Um, it's just, you know, we thought we knew what our days were going to look like, what our weeks were going to look like, you know, our, our calendar brings a sense of safety and security, but you know, all we have right now is this, is this present moment. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're in a state of worry and panic, or if you're in a state of feeling strong, uh, the first practice of particularly resilient people is the practice of vulnerability. And that's surprising to a lot of people because um, we still think about resilience in, in large part as like arm wrestling our way through life, as covering ourselves with Teflon. And what I learned in my qualitative interviews with hundreds of people and collecting thousands of pieces of data over the course of the last decade was when I asked people to think about a significant challenge that they had faced and how they effectively addressed that challenge. One of the five practices that made people the most resilient in the face of that challenge was the ability to be vulnerable. And what vulnerability means here is that what we're thinking and feeling on the inside that we allow that to match the face or the person that we show to the world on the outside and we allow those two things to be aligned or or congruent and so if we're in a state of panic or worry then that's an opportunity to reach out to someone and and share that we're in a state of panic or worry um five days ago uh I, I had a series of clients booked for resilience leadership for my business. It's, it's still a relatively young business. And I was barely gonna make it financially, but I was gonna make it financially with the clients that I had booked. And in sort of the span of 30 hours between like Wednesday evening and, and Friday morning, right? Where we sort of went from, you know, this, this is a, a global health concern to a global pandemic. Um, every single one of those clients called me and said, I'm sorry, we've got to put our contract on hold. We've either got to cancel this or, po or postpone this. So I, so I went from making it to zero revenue in the span of 30 hours. And it was a, it was a freak out, right? Um, it, was a, it was a like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And in that moment, I remembered the five practices of particularly resilient people. And I said, well, what my opportunity here is, is to get is to get vulnerable, right? And so I went to, um, you know, my PR agent. I went to my colleagues. Um, I went to the people that support me, my clients and customers. You know, my mentors. And I said, okay, look, this is what's just happened. I need your help to figure out how I'm gonna how I'm gonna make my way through this, right? So rather than holding all that on the inside and then kind of showing this like face to the world, you know, like you know, everything's fine. I, I went to people and I said, look, I know things are going to be okay in the long term, but in, in the short term, here's what's happened. I'm scared and, and I need your help. Right. And that was really vulnerable for me to do because I'm someone who like has the answer, has it figured out, is super confident, but that vulnerability allowed me to deepen my relationships with people. It allowed people to know what was really going on for me. We've connected in a deeper way and I've had tremendous 
you know, support in, in figuring this out um, in a way that I wouldn't have if I hadn't been vulnerable. So just that one practice is extremely, is extremely powerful. Yeah, I think the thing that we have, the advantage we have right now is that, I mean, it's a kind of, it's such a unique situation because usually we're all going, I mean, it, by the way, every, I was talking to somebody else, it's like, we're uniquely qualified to do this because it's not like this is the first challenge any of us have ever faced. Like if you're a human Indeed. being on planet, planet Earth, you face challenges, right? So, right. Um, but it's, but usually we're facing our own unique challenges on our own or sort of like, oh, my, you know, my family, we had a, a big challenge in 2018 that we went through, but it was, you know, other people weren't facing that. Now we're all facing the same challenge. And so, um, so it feels like people are, are doing that more getting vulnerable with each other and, and everybody needs support and, um, and connection. So Helia Slifers, if you're out there and you're not doing yes. that yet reach out to a friend, reach out. There's all kinds of um, support groups and, and, and um, resources out there. Um, you know, reach out for them and, and connect with other people in a meaningful way. I would suggest maybe Facebook's not the greatest, you know, uh, it's something, but you know, any, anything you can do to connect voice to voice or face to face with someone even better. Yeah. Vulnerability is a hell yes. Vulnerability. Hell yes. Hell yeah. yes. Vulnerability. Hell yes, I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So, so what's number two? Yeah. And you know what? I'll just, I'll just say oh, something yeah. about that. Sure. So something that came up, so Brene Brown's done work on vulnerability, obviously. Sure. That's come up for her with people that are living like their wholehearted life. And it got me thinking, so when vulnerability came up for me in my own research as well, I thought, okay, so we know this is important. So why aren't we all out there like living these like profoundly vulnerable lives, right? If we, if we know, right, that, that it has so many benefits. And I started asking people about that in my research and what came up was this idea of the shame bias. And so the shame bias is the idea that, um, Norman, if you tell, if you tell me something vulnerable about yourself, I'm just going to make something up. This is, I'm not, you know, listeners, this is not true of Norman. Yeah. Um, right. But if like, if you tell me that you came through, um, some kind of abuse, or you tell me that you're a survivor of something or that, you know, you were an alcoholic for a number of years and, you know, you've been clean for two decades or, or something, you know, something right, like I'll, I'll tell you, like I, my listeners would know, I've struggled with depression in my 20s in particular. Uh, yeah. So there, that would be something. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So the depression is the only true thing about you that we just said, just to be clear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the others, the others were just, you know, illustrative examples. Um, and, and so, you know, the idea is like, okay, you tell me that you've struggled with depression. I think more of you, cause I'm like, wow, like look at Norman, he's living the life and he's got this podcast and he's like really, you know, doing all these incredible things. But then I project myself stepping into my own vulnerability and I think, oh no, like people will think less of me if they know I lost all my clients. They'll think something's wrong with me or I've grappled with two decades of, of post-traumatic stress disorder at a, at a diagnosable level. And I hid that from people for a long time because I thought they would see me differently. I was, a, I was ashamed of it. And so, you know, what I just want to impart to those of you that are listening is, you know, when you're, we're all going to be in a difficult place at different points um, over the course of what we're going through globally. And if you hesitate to reach out to people because you're afraid that they might think differently of you, right? And there's kind of three L's that get in the way. We think if people really knew us, they wouldn't like us, they wouldn't love us, 
and they might leave, right? And those are kind of the three L's that oftentimes keep us from like reaching out and sharing our most authentic self. There's really a, a fear about that. Um, so there's a, there's a real, there's a real kind of barrier to entry with vulnerability around overcoming the shame bias. And so I just want to encourage all of you that we, we will think more of you when you reach out, even though it seems scary and, and we'll feel more connected to you and, and that we have a deeper relationship. So know that if you have any fear about that, that fear is normal. And on the other side of that fear is um, help and connection and, and a deeper sense of um, uh, resources and, um, you know, candid, candidly support. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also have a background. I've done some like story t- business storytelling or, you know, storytelling workshops for entrepreneurs and, uh, and that, that has come out there as well. Like it's really um, when we, well, storytelling is really about, sh- it's not about sharing how everything went great. You know, that's not even a story. <laughs> um, it's really about sharing your, con- you know, about your, the struggles that you've been through and, right. and conflicts that you've been through. And, and, and that overlaps exactly with vulnerability, you know, getting vulnerable and, um, and being authentic, sharing when you, cause when you do that, then people feel you give other people permission to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So important okay so then um what about number two yeah number two is productive perseverance which is the intelligent pursuit of a goal which is also really important i think you know these days so this is the idea of whether or not we maintain the mission of a particular goal or whether we pivot in a new direction and here a lot of people ask me about grit uh and angela duckworth's seminal work around grit and so Maintaining the mission is, is really kind of the part of resilience that's about being gritty, you know, not, not giving up. And pivoting in a new direction is, is about having a flexibility of mindset and how we get to that ultimate goal. And so, um, you know, grit works really well if the landscape or the environment that we're in doesn't change. If you want to be a Navy SEAL, there's a set of requirements that you need to meet to be a Navy SEAL, and they're, you know, difficult and and profound, Uh, but those requirements aren't going to change, right? Um, And so you get gritty, and you maintain the mission, and you put your head down, and you go, right? And then pivoting in a new direction means in this changing environment, how do we need to think about our goal in a new way, or reevaluate if that is still the right the right goal. So that's productive perseverance, right? We all know people who have stayed too long towards a goal and diminishing returns that has diminishing returns. And we all know people that, you know, maybe felt like they gave up too early. And so this, it's really the art and the science of uh, being productive in our, in our perseverance. So let's say that there's some uh, some listeners out there that are hell yes entrepreneurs. You know, they have their own business and uh, they had up until recently specific goals for the year or whatever for their business. And now this event has um, has hit and we're just, you talked about those two paths kind of remaining steadfast and moving forward or pivoting. Um, can you talk a little bit about that for, for someone out there listening that, that might be in that situation? Absolutely. And I would say I'm absolutely in this situation in this moment as well. So all of the work that I was doing was was in person, you know, I was doing keynotes, I was doing workshops, you know, in the context of organizations. And so, you know, what I think we have the opportunity to do as entrepreneurs is to think about one, 
is this still the right goal? And two, is if it is the right goal, is the pathway that I'm going on or the pathways, pathways still the right sort of venue, right, to, to get there? And so, you know, what's, what's come up for me um, and very clear, there's two concepts. There's a, there's a concept called multi-finality and there's a concept called equifinality. And the concept of multi-finality is that we can start in one place and end in many different endpoints, right? Um, and the concept of equifinality is we can start in many different places and get to the same endpoint, right? So equifinality is the idea that all roads lead to Rome, right? No matter where you start, right, you're gonna end up in the same place. Right. And multifinality is the idea that like we could start here today, you know, you and I could start in the same place and through a series of different decisions, we could end up in very different places. And so this becomes important as we think about this concept of productive perseverance, because what that means is we all as entrepreneurs, as business people have the opportunity to take a step back to pause and say, you know, one, is this the right goal or goals? And two, am I on the right path? And three, do I have the right vehicle and resources to get there? And so for me to put it in a tangible way, you know, what I said to myself is, okay, I probably need to scale back my financial goals for this year because things are just really changing um, and that's okay. Um, two, uh, do I still want to bring inspiration and resilience to the world as my ultimate goal? Yes. Right. Hell yes. Hell, Hell yes. yes. Hell that's, yeah. still, that's, yeah. still, that's still my goal. Mm -hmm. But three, the way that I get there, the pathway that I get there is now going to be different. And so I've been in this moment of pivoting, not in terms of my ultimate goals, but thinking about how do I then take my products and services and make them virtual and put them online and engage um, either you know, re-engage my customer base that had me doing in-person work or find a new customer base that wants to engage online and, and virtually. And so that's that sort of interplay, that art and science of productive perseverance. I love it. I think that I think people get what you're would get what you're saying there. Like some things can sort of remain steadfast. Like my goal is still to, you know, talk, uh, you know, kind of deliver this message about resilience. Um, the the medium may change from in person to online, and um, it'll be interesting to see kind of like how things develop because I think there'll be some things that obviously will be, you know, restaurant owners and. Uh, and, and and so forth will uh, you know have a, have a hard time, but then there'll be other uh, other businesses I think that might emerge uh, or even flourish more in in this time. So yeah, uh, okay. Number three, I, I, if we if we can touch on all five, I think people would be kind of too. I wouldn't want to leave people go like, oh, what's number four and five? So yeah. how about number three? We, we won't leave people hanging. We'll do the next three. Let's do the next three pretty quickly. And then we'll just leave, sure. some, leave some time uh, for anything else we want to discuss. Yep. So the next three, um, the third one is connection, the third practice of particularly resilient people. And so this is also incredibly important in this day and age that we're in. And it's about connecting to ourselves. So again, kind of going back to like feeling our feelings, listening to our gut, you know, having access to that still small voice within. A lot of times we lose access to that over time because we get so busy focused on the external environment or a goal. So having a deep connection within ourselves. I was flying on a plane recently and the woman next to me said, uh, 
you know, is meditation and yoga part of your resilience? And I, I said, it, it can be, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, the vehicles that you find that allow you to connect to yourself and to other people. And so meditation and resilience can absolutely, or meditation and yoga can absolutely be part of cultivating that connection to ourselves. And then it's also the connection to others, right? So what we've found and, and people that have done research actually on um, survivalists and survivalism is we have this idea of a survivalist uh, being, you know, sort of on their own out in the woods with like, you know, I don't know, a, a bow and arrow and a, in a big knife or something like that. A and big case of toilet paper. Yeah. A big case of double ply toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to make it. And actually what we find is that the people that do the best in these moments of, of, um, societal, cultural, political upheaval are the people that have the most connections within the context of their community. They're helping others and they know how to get resources that other people need and how to get resources that they need. And so connection to ourselves and, and to others is extremely important and one of the practices of particularly resilient people. Um, the fourth practice is the practice of gradiosity. Uh, and gratiosity until now was not a word. I made it up. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So little known fact, when you do qualitative research, you get to make up words. So Sweet. You know, run, don't walk to your nearest qualitative research center. And you too can make up words. <laughs> uh, but what, what I wanted to do was account for what I was hearing from people, which was this idea of being able to look on a challenge with a level of gratitude. So even though, you know, and if I apply this to current state, even though we're very much in the midst of it, right, it's, it's not a look back, it's like we are steeped in what's happening right now, we're already able to see some elements of gratitude of things that are happening, right? And you've touched on some of these things, right? Like people are saying, oh, I have this opportunity to look in, I have this opportunity to evaluate my life. Gosh, I've had an opportunity to rest in a way that I haven't in years, decades even. You know, we're seeing the environment you know, clean up and, and, and clear up. And so we're starting to see these little kernels of, of gratitude for what's happening around us. And that's an incredibly resilient practice to be able to say, hey, in the midst of challenge, even though I may not have chosen some of these things, I can see the good in this. I can see how this is happening for me as opposed to to me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to be able to share those lessons generously with others. That's the second half of the word, right? To find the gratitude and then to generously share those lessons with others so that we can learn vicariously from your experience, right? Like you can, you can teach me, you know, what it felt like to go through depression in your twenties and, and generously share those lessons. So even though, you know, I didn't go through depression, you know, in my twenties, I can learn from you about that. And you can learn from me about post-traumatic stress disorder or other, you know, types of challenges that we've had. So that's, that's the fourth practice, gratiosity. Love it. And then the fifth and final practice is, is possibility. And so vulnerability is kind of the cornerstone for resilience, if you will, is the first practice. And you think about it as kind of moving across to a continuum, if you will, you know, possibility is, is the practice that I think is, is enhanced and iterated over time. And so what happens is when we continue to face challenge, we start to see more possibilities in our lives than we had before. And again, in the midst of the coronavirus, right, we're already starting to see that. You know, you see um, in Italy, right, like like people singing, you know, 
with the windows open so other people can hear music and we figure out how to communicate in new and different ways. And, and we, um, you know, your wife, gosh, like what a paragon of resilience as an extrovert, you know, setting up virtual potlucks and virtual dance parties, right? She, she's seeing new possibilities in this and that she's not limited by being at home in terms of pursuing what she loves and her extroversion. And, and so, um, finding those new possibilities and not being wedded to sort of the staid landscape of what was the past, but being willing to, to reinvent the possibilities of the future is the fifth and final practice. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, t- taken together, like we can keep these things in mind, hell yes, lifers, as we move the, through this time. And, and um, you know, I was listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast with Jack Cornfield yesterday and, and he was saying like, yeah, I hope that you come back to this podcast and listen to um, Jack's words here repeatedly. And, and, and maybe if, you know, if you're in a, a difficult time, you can do the same with this conversation um, as you need to. And any, and anybody else out there. I'm sure there's a lot of great podcasts going on right now. Um, so Dr. Taryn, is there anything else that we want to touch on, um, you know, regarding, regarding this time or for, for other people to think about, uh, as, as we're going through this? Yeah, I, I think I might just leave, I might leave us with three things if I could. Go ahead. Um, the first one is, I did a social media post on this yesterday because it just came to me and it it felt tremendously important. Um, The first one is that I think, you know, in addition to the five practices of particularly resilient people, we will find a sense of resilience within ourselves if we can find purpose in this pause. If we can find purpose in this pause. And what that means is, Many of us are looking for meaning right now. Many of us are struggling with the why of why this is all happening. And what I learned, you know, when I had symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder is I was constantly looking outside of myself and I was constantly asking, why is this, you know, why is this happening? And what I realized is that those answers didn't exist outside of me. Those answers existed within me. And I got to decide what the why was about the trauma that I experienced and, and, and create meaning, you know, for myself. So I think it's, it's so easy for us as humans to walk around and say, well, everything happens for a reason, you know, and it's like, we don't have any reasons right now. Like, you know, but what we can decide, we can decide our own why we can make our own meaning out of this moment. And, in doing so, we can find what our individual purpose is in this pause. And I think that can serve as a, as a North Star and something that orients us as we you know, move through this you know, protracted time of challenge. So the first thing would be to find purpose in the pause. Um, the, the second thing is to recognize that we are still in choice and choice is power right? So we may feel like a lot of choices have been removed from us, especially depending on where we live across the globe, but we actually still have a lot of choices. We have choices about our mindset. We have choices about how we treat other people. We have choices about how we take care of our body. We have choices about how we structure our day. And then we also have broader macro level choices. You know, we can choose to use this time to make ourselves better, or we can allow this time to make us bitter, right? 
we get to choose between those two things. Uh, we can choose between, you know, a mindset that allows us to feel free to say, you know, hey, I'm going to use this time to explore things that I've always wanted to explore, to learn a new language. Uh, for me, I've always wanted to ex explore spoken word and, and poetry slam. Oh, yeah. So, me too. Yeah. You know, I'm going to use this time, you know, as one of the things to focus on that. So we've got this choice between, you know, allowing it to make us better or allowing it to make us bitter. We've got a choice between, you know, feeling oppressed or finding a sense of freedom of exploration. Um, and we can also choose, you know, we can choose, choose to be a martyr about this, or we can choose to be a magician, right? We can, we can use this as the alchemy to uncover new things about our relationships. So um, find purpose in the pause, um, recognize that we still have choice and choice is powerful. And the third thing that's been going around on the internet that I really like is remembering what's not canceled, right? And so, you know, there's so many things, right? Concerts, art openings, book tours, things that we were collectively as humanity that we're looking for that are canceled. But there's so many things that are not canceled, right? Um, empathy is not canceled. <laughs> Crucial conversations are not canceled. Uh, showing up for people and deepening our relationships, not canceled. Not canceled. Yeah. Caring about humanity, not canceled. And um, so I'll just leave you with this last piece, which is, um, and it's, it, it might feel a little trite when I start, but just stay with me now, right? Um, and so many of us know the story of the phoenix, right? Sort of rising from the ashes, right? And that can feel a little bit cliche. But, but fewer people know that in the legend of the phoenix, the phoenix lights its own nest on fire. And why would the phoenix light its own nest on fire? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Why? Why would, they? Mm -hmm. why would it do that? Mm -hmm. The phoenix lights its own nest on fire to create a sense of, of rebirth, right? It, it actively remodels its own life. It actively takes things down to the studs or burns it to the ground because none of the things that are really true about our lives and about humanity can be lost in that fire. You know, we don't lose true friendships. We don't lose true empathy. We don't lose uh, deep connection in the fire. All of those things exist in the context of the ashes. And so if you feel like your life is being burned down right now, if you feel like so many of the things that you were excited about are canceled, recognize that the really important fundamental aspects of being human and being connected and empathy and compassion and beautiful conversations. That's not canceled. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such an interesting time. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, we could keep going on and on and, uh, um, I'm sure there's more, more to come in, in the coming weeks. Um, well, uh, Dr. Taryn, thank you so much for joining us. I think I'm sure our, our listeners got uh, a lot out of um, uh, your words of wisdom today. And um, Helios Lifers, let's, uh, let's take some of these uh, thoughts and practices into our daily lives as we go through this. And remember, be gentle with yourself. You know, it's a, it's a day, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute sort of a thing we're going through right now. But yeah. we, we can do this. Uh, we can get through this. And You've um, got this. 
we've got this, we've got this, right? So uh, Dr. Taryn, I, um, I forgot to mention this before we started, but I usually like to uh, end things by saying hell yes on the count of three with my guests. And yes. of course, during these times, I would kind of consider, well, maybe I'll, I'll forego that, but no, I think we should do it, right? Strong, so, be strong. I like it. I'm, I'm a hell yes on the hell yes. Hell yes on the hell yes. So it's kind of like a hell yes, that kind of a thing on the count. Let me put my coffee down. Okay, here we go. Okay. One, two, three. Hell, hell yes. All right, we got this. All right, Dr. Taryn, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Hell Yes Life podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite RSS feed. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review. And if you want to stay connected, visit hellyeslife.com and sign up for the e-newsletter and private Facebook group. Again, I'm Norman Bell. Thanks for joining me. Now let's get out there and live a hell yes life.